And all God's people said, amen and amen. Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with y'all today. I've been looking forward to this opportunity to be able to celebrate with you and break the bread of life with you on this particular day. I think it's been, if I'm not mistaken, it has actually been right at three and a half, pushing four years since we were with y'all last. Isn't it amazing how time goes by? It is amazing. It always amazes me. Thank you for leading us this morning in worship. Brother Martin, thank you for the invitation to come and stand in your pulpit for a moment. I know the hells were not expecting Brother Nick Holden to be here today, but we are glad to see them as well. And uh, we appreciate y'all loving on our family, taking good care of them and and elevating and lifting them up and praying over them. And I know Brother Marvin blew some of your minds just a little bit ago. When we were back home and Brother Marvin and Mama were still in our area, I would be preaching in places and they would come and celebrate with us and depending upon where we were at would depend upon whether I would introduce Brother Marvin as my brother-in-law or I would introduce my mama as my mama because it would mess everybody up. So I had to be cautious on where we were at and what we were doing. That way I could actually share something and they would listen to me. Are you with me? Because if I got them off on something else, they'd never hear anything else in the service. So it is a it is a treat. There's a lot that has gone on in the last three and a half years. We have grown in our family. We've got a few more grand arrows around uh, our home and in the quiver now. And uh, a lot's going on. Y'all have walked with us through uh, the journey of seeing some of them being born and coming on to the scene. Y'all have walked with me. And Stephanie, through some times of uh, difficulty with some illness and sickness, but God's been good, I want to tell you. He has been good. You know, he sees in the dark, amen? He sees what we can't see. Uh, Daniel says that in Daniel chapter number 2 when he is standing before Nebuchadnezzar in regards to interpreting his dreams. He says, God is a God who sees in the dark. And in other words... He is a God who sees what we can't see. And he also is the one who possesses light. And therefore, what is darkened to us at his uh, prerogative, at his will, he can unleash light on that which is in the dark when he chooses. And there are times when he just chooses not to reveal what's in the dark. But we can trust him because we know his heart. Amen. And God always knows what's best for us, even when it doesn't seem like that would be the route we would have taken. What we want to do is submit to him, surrender to him, because he does see what we can't see. And more than what is coming on us, it's more about what he's doing in me right now to prepare me for what is coming. Amen. I, I, I've tried to remind myself, even though I, I do have a blood cancer I don't necessarily need God to heal me from that cancer. I don't need him to fix it, but I do need him to fix me for it. And therefore, I need him to work in me to prepare me. Now, can he take it from me? Can he deliver me from it? Oh, yes, he could do that. Can he heal you from what you're walking through right now? He sure can, but it's not always best. It's not always the purpose of God. It's not always the best for the kingdom. It's not best for you. It's not best for other people that he takes that away. Not that he doesn't have the power to do it. Not that it's not possible to do it. It's just not profitable for him to do it right now. And we just give him the glory for that. Amen. Amen. 
Well, look, take the revelation that you brought with you this morning and turn, if you would, to the book of Acts in chapter number five. Acts chapter number five. I've come today simply as a messenger, a messenger to, to share with you a word that God has given me to share with you today out of the book of Acts. And we're going to concentrate on one particular verse in Acts chapter 5, but I'm going to read and give you a little context of it so that it can be a tool in your hand in the days of, uh, to come. Because as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a follower who's been a birth into the kingdom. Jesus sought me, caught me, bought me, and he's taught me on what it means to walk with him and to live by faith. We was reading or singing those songs a minute ago that he is still God. You know, Hebrews 11 tells us that it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And he that comes to God must believe that he is God. Now, what does that mean? You're not God, I'm not God, no one else is God. He's the only God that we come to. So that means I don't know the solution. I don't have the solution. I don't have the answer. He possesses that. So by faith I come to him believing that he is God and that he rewards us when we diligently seek him. And this morning that's what we're here to do, to diligently seek him. Believe that he is more than able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So if you will look in Acts chapter 5 in verse number 20, and then I'll read the context of where this has brought us to. Acts 5.20 says, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless you today and thank you that we can approach you, that you have made it possible, that you have adopted us into your family, that you have forgiven me and made me a child of your kingdom of love and light, and that in Christ Jesus I can approach you today with boldness and with confidence, not in my own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of the Lamb of God and the grace that is, is at work in me, teaching me to say no to me and say yes to you. And I come and ask you today to help us in this brief little time we have that you would speak life into us, that you would speak life through me today to your people, that you would transfer the life, the living work of your word into your people today, and that you would help us all recognize who we are, what you've done, what you're doing, and what your command for us to do in these days, which you've given us, and I'm going to praise you for it. Manifest your anointing upon the hearing ear and the preaching of the word, and we're going to give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now what we have here is a group of men who had given their lives entirely unto the Lord Jesus Christ. They have been walking with him. They walked with him for three years as he called them out. We're dealing with the apostles here. In this particular context, we're dealing with the church and what he's given us to do. But he had called these men to be disciples. 
and to walk with him. And that's what Jesus came to make, disciples. And a disciple is a diligent learner and follower of the Lord. And while he was with them, they watched Jesus do all kind of things. Everything that he did, they saw the hand of God at work, God in their presence. He spoke life into them. He taught them. He demonstrated. He showed them. And after his death and resurrection, the Lord came to them, and we could read about this in the, the Gospel of Luke. Matter of fact, Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. And when Luke opens up the book of Acts, he says, I'm telling you the things that Jesus began to teach and share because Jesus is still teaching and all God's people say it. He's still working today and he's still at work. But in Luke chapter 24, we see three things that is fundamental for us as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need in our life, I call it the trifecta of the witness of Jesus. What is it? You need a living Savior. And all God's people say it. You can't have nothing in the kingdom of God without a living Savior. They had him. Jesus had walked with them, he had taught them, he died, he was shed his blood for them, now he is alive, and he came to them, and when he came to them, the second thing we see that we have to have to be those living sacrifices that are these witnesses for him, is that you have a living Savior, and then you have living Scriptures. The Bible says in Luke 24 that he opened their understanding that they could comprehend the scriptures. It's amazing that these men walked with Jesus for those three, three and a half years and they really didn't grab it and understand it until after his resurrection when he opened their understanding to comprehend the things that he said, the things that he taught, the things that he did. And for you and I to be those effective witnesses for Jesus, we have to have a living Savior living in us. We got to have the living scriptures living in us. And the third thing is you got to have a living spirit. Jesus told them to what? Tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. At that point in time, they had a living Savior. They had to live in scriptures. But they couldn't be the effective witnesses that he called them to be until they had the living spirit abiding and living within them. The power of God within them. Now these men are empowered by God. They are preaching and God is adding to the church daily. People are being radically saved, transformed. And what are they doing? They now got a living Savior. They're coming under the teaching of the apostles to get the living scriptures. And God is filling them up with the living spirit and they're out making disciples for the glory of God. And they, they are told by the leaders in that day they needed to be quiet. They don't need to talk about the Lord anymore. They need to quit, quit preaching this Jesus. And what did they keep doing? Did they stop? Not at all. They kept preaching Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it kept stirring up uh, the leaders and the rulers, the same ones that had Jesus crucified. Now their target is upon these apostles and these disciples. And then everything is rolling right along good and we get to a point very similar that we see like in the garden, Eden with Adam and Eve, when God was speaking to Adam and he told them, in the day that you shall eat of that tree, you shall surely what? Die. Die. And that death what? Fell upon 
all of us. But think about what was going on in that day. You had people from all over the world coming into Jerusalem. They were being saved and they were falling in love with Jesus and they were falling in love with his teaching and none of them were leaving. They weren't going back to Rome. They weren't going back to Thessalonica. They weren't going back to Cappadocia. They weren't going back to Bithynia. They weren't leaving. They were getting under the word of God to glean and hear everything they wanted to hear. And therefore, people had needs. And what did people start doing? This one said, well, I got this and I'll give it to you. This one sold an extra house they had or sold some land that they had. They started giving up their goods to meet all these needs among these disciples and everything was going great. Great grace was upon them. They all declared the word of God with boldness and then two characters come in one day and they tried to dupe the church. They tried to... Pulled the wool over the church's eyes. They tried to dupe the things of God. And they came in and a guy by the name of Ananias and his wife, which her name is what? Ananias and who? Ananias and Sapphira. They come in, Brother Richard, and they bring their offering and they tell uh, the, the Peter that they sold it for a certain amount of money and that they wanted to give it to him. And the first thing Peter does with discernment from the Lord, because God spoke into him, and first thing he says, why did you lie to who? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? And when that was said, he said, when that property was in your hand, didn't you have control of it? You could have done whatever you wanted to do with it. You didn't have to give it to the church. You didn't have to give it to these people. You could have kept whatever you wanted to get. If you wanted to give a dollar off of it, that would have been fine. But you brought something in and you wanted people to think more of you than what you were. And as a result, you not only lied to us, but you lied to the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says the man died right on the spot. A little while later, his wife shows up. And when she walks in, they carrying her husband out, and she lies. And what, are they, what happens to her? She dies. Death, just like in the garden, had entered in, and God says that the wages of sin is death. Here's a perfect work going on, and some bad apples come in to sour that and God immediately takes them out of the way. Now we don't see God doing that on a regular basis. Aren't you glad? Amen. How many of y'all would have done died? Y'all would have done fell out. We, I would have done fell out. Y'all would have been carrying me out. Y'all would have carried Stephanie out. Y'all would have carried my mama out and brother Marvin out. I'm willing to say every single person in here wouldn't have left the service today. Amen. I'm glad God is not doing that, but the wages of sin nonetheless is what? Death. And the day that you sin, you shall surely what? Die. And that's what we see. So now we get this contamination that comes in. But what does God do? God purifies the church immediately. And then the church is unified sanctified they're magnifying the Lord and what is God doing multiplying the people look in verse number 12 you'll see what I'm talking about verse number 11 
This is what happens when God did what he did. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Wouldn't that put fear in you? It put fear in me, amen. You'd be hesitant, Brother Marvin, to show up to the service if people were dying because they wasn't right with the Lord, amen. So when they heard that, it created this purifying effect. And I think that's one of the key things about being effective witnesses for the Lord. We need to have a, a purity about us, amen. There's got to be a purity about us. It doesn't mean that we need to be perfect. Is anybody in here perfect? In and of themselves? No, we cast what? Our imperfections upon his perfection. And that's what we do in everyday life. Our mess-ups don't have to mess us up. And all God's people said. You see, the mess-ups of others don't have to mess us up. Why? We are throwing all our imperfections upon him who is perfect. The one who's made us righteous in his own life by his own blood. But there's a purity that has happened. God's cleaning up that which was defiled. And verse number 12 says, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with what? One accord. They were unified in Solomon's porch. Solomon's porch was like a, a big balcony that was off the temple that could, that can house thousands of people. And it was not with the courts in the sanctuary. It was off to the side. And the believers in that day somewhat took it over. They started gathering there. And the Bible tells us there was such a pure dynamic and unification of the people that none of them would join them. Nobody would join in with them. They were afraid to join in with them. Today, people can come and our churches and come among us and live how they want. There's no fear in them. Are you with me? People can go and do all they want and then want to gather with us on, on Sundays because there's a lack of purity often among us that there's no threat in gathering with the brother. I'm not talking about people who have done things and are broken, Brother Marvin, and come and won't help from the Lord. I'm talking about people who pridefully say, look, it doesn't matter what you tell me. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to keep living how I want to live and doing what I want to do. It doesn't matter. You can't say anything about me. You can't do anything about it. And they keep coming and fellowshipping with us and joining in with us with no intentions to doing anything or getting anything right. And that happens all over the country today as we gather together, as the churches gather. Are you with me? Yeah. You know in your own life, there's things that's going on in your life that you had no intentions to straighten it up. It didn't matter what Brother Marvin preached or what anybody else would preach or what the Word says. You're going to keep doing what you always yeah. done and you have no fear of the consequences of that. Are you with me? Yeah. That wasn't happening in that day. Why? Because there was immediate consequences for missing the mark with God that he manifested it right off the bat. What really happens is spiritual death, which is actually worse than physical death. Spiritual death is worse than physical death. And what's even worse than that is dying physically and never being made alive in Christ. You see, soon as a soul sins, that soul dies. And we inherited that nature of sin. And not only that, but we've all chosen the sin. How many of you chosen the sin? Now y'all lying right now. Are you with me? 
How many of you chosen to do what you do from day to day? Like for an example, how many times you get up in a given week and you don't get up seeking the face of the Lord for the first things? For an example, Jesus says in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else will fall in its proper place. How many times you and I will get up and neglect meeting with the Lord first thing and then go out in our day never hearing from the Lord, never meeting with the Lord, never talking with the Lord, never hearing from the Lord. You know what that is? That's missing the mark with God. Amen? That's what that is. Because what, what does it manifest? It manifests pride in our heart. Why? Because we say we can function and operate without God. And can we? No, what did Jesus teach us in John 15 when he says we can do nothing unless we what? Abide in what? In him. If we're not intimately connected to him and him working through us, nothing that we do has any eternal value to it. It's good for nothing eternally. I think I told you this before, but when I was growing up, my dad used to refer to mama's side of the family. He'd say they were good for nothings. Now, I'm not messing with mama in here. I'm just telling you how my dad would refer to. Have you ever called somebody a good for nothing? Have you ever felt like you were good for nothing? Well, when you look around and you see people doing what they're doing today and you think, man, they won't work. All they are is leeching off everybody. All they're doing is all this and this and this. And you say, man, they're good for nothings. That is saying they don't contribute. They don't have anything of value contributing to society. Matter of fact, they're just taken from our society. You know what I'm talking about. Well, that's the same word that when Jesus says that if we're not connected to him, uh, what we do has no eternal value. It's good for nothing eternally. And I'm telling you, we do more things good for nothing eternally than we do often good for eternity. Are you with me? Why? Because we operate in our what? Own strength, not in his power. In our own strength. We see this is how... They were functioning. When God did what he did, it created such a grip of fear upon the people, not only his people, but those who heard about those things and they wouldn't even join in with them. But the church was unified. And when the church is unified because they're being sanctified by the Lord, cleaned up by him, you can't help but see them what? Magnify the Lord. And now these apostles are what? They are magnifying the Lord. Notice what it says about them. It says, verse 13, Yet none of these dared to join them, but the people esteemed them very highly. Verse 14, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They are multiplying what we see here. Uh, they're multiplied, verse 15, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and they laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on them. They didn't even want to engage them, Brother Marner. They wouldn't want to talk to them. What was they doing? They were just trying to get on the outskirts of them because they didn't want to interact with them. So they were just, when they walked by, they let the shadow get on them because they didn't want to talk to them. 
because they were afraid of what could possibly happen if they did speak to them and they wasn't right with this God that they're preaching about because they've done heard what he did to his own people, what in the world would he do to us? And they didn't want anything to do. They passed on. But those that were believing were still being added to the church. And then it says in verse 16, also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And then what do we see happen? We see this persecution begins. It says that the high priest rose up and all those who were with him and those that were with him were a group of Sadducees. The high priest in that time was of this group of Sadducees. They had a council called a Sanhedrin. They would be like a city council. And these Sanhedrin or these Sadducees were usually uh, of a... A more wealthy group of people. They were religious, but they didn't believe in things like miracles. They believed that the Older Testament and the first five books was the law, but they had a way of saying that we didn't need God's providence and sovereignty in everyday life. So they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. And one of the clinchers, they didn't believe in the afterlife, so they didn't believe in the resurrection. And these Sadducees were the governing authorities over the temple and managed and ruled most of the society. They would be, there were two parties in that, in that day. What was the two parties? You had the Pharisaical party and you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were your more liberal, wealthy aristocrats that were actually born into by birth being connected with Herod and being connected with Rome. And they kind of, Richard, would govern what would happen around Jerusalem. And therefore, because of their intimate connection with Rome, they had the most to lose. They would lose their status, they would lose their wealth, they would lose their positions, they would lose their authority if they let this disruption continue on. So they had to do something about these disciples. It would be like a city council in a city who has been brought in through political means, but they had a sense of some morality and if a church come into that community and they started um, cleaning up things around there and the bars started shutting down and uh, the, the businesses ill repute started going out of business and income started dropping and tax revenue started coming down and people was disrupted by it, the city council would step in and either try to stop the church from doing what it's doing or they would get behind the church. We well, see this is what this group was doing. They jumped in and said this can't keep happening the way it's happening. So they took the apostles and they put them in the common prison. All of them. They locked them up. Put them among the, uh, the commoners and put them in prison to shut it down. You see, but the enemy can put us in prison, but they can't, they can't stop the word. Amen? They can't stop the message. Look, they can kill us, but they can't stop the work that we've done in the Lord. Amen? It's going to keep on going. So this is what happens. They put them in prison. They judge them as being guilty, as problem makers. And notice what verse number 18 says. Well, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up 
and they were with him, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled up with indignation, with envy. They were overwhelmed with this feeling. They had to act on it, verse 18. And they laid their hands on the apostles and they put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And today... When you think about what is an angel, what is an angel? An angel is a minister of the word and will of God to obey God, what he's given them to do. That's what an angel does. Angels are messengers of the work and the message of God. And that's all that angel did was come in that night and said, look, the highest of highest judges has declared you innocent and not guilty. And opened the door and sent those men out with a message and told them to go to the very places that were going to get them in trouble again. Go and what? Stand in the temple and speak all the words of this life. And today I come to you simply like that messenger, like that angel, because that's what he is. I'm a servant of God. I'm a messenger of the word of God. I want to be submissive to the will of God like an angel would be. And I want to come in here today and just tell you that it doesn't matter what our government says. It doesn't matter what our society says. It doesn't matter what our textbooks say. It doesn't matter any of those things. The highest of highest judges has sent me here today to tell you, you free. And you go. And you go to where the people are. And you go stand. And you go stand firm on the things of God and you open your mouth and you go preach Jesus and you let whatever fall, fall. Amen? So when our society tells you, because this is what, this is what you got to be careful of. If you're not careful, you're going to let your mess ups mess you up and put you in a prison. If you're not careful, you're going to let the fallacy of your flesh have the last word in your life when it don't have the last word. Amen? If you're not careful, you're going to get boxed up in the corner and when you're out on the streets, you're afraid of what somebody's going to tell you when you go tell them about Jesus and they're going to tell you we don't need Jesus today. And they're going to tell you you still believe that Bible. We don't need that Bible today. They're going to tell you you believe God created this world. God didn't create this world. And, and, and if you're not careful, you're going to listen to them and they're going to put you in a prison. They're going to put you in a, in a place that has bars without bars and you're going to keep your mouth shut. But if you'll stand up and you go out as a messenger of the Lord and you go stand, go find where people are, go find where God's sending you to go and you go tell them about Jesus and you go let them know God's the highest of the highest judges. Yeah, the world may try to stifle you, reject you, keep you quiet, but the King of kings and Lord of lords who has all authority in heaven and upon earth says go. Amen. Go. Go. And I want to tell you, I'm not just a messenger. If you've been blood bought, you're a messenger too. So when you go on the job tomorrow, the campus tomorrow, or wherever you go, you can help that other brother or that other sister and let them know as a messenger, look, I know they said we can't talk about Jesus on that on this job. Well, I want to tell you what, you can talk about Jesus on this job, amen? If you can't talk about Jesus, you ain't a believer, amen? Because every believer that I know that is right with God can't help but talk about Jesus. Can't help but talk about Jesus. You know why they can't help but talk about Jesus? Because a true, authentic believer don't add Jesus to his life. Jesus is his life. Amen? 
And he is his life. And that's exactly what that angel told him to go say. Go, stand in the temple, speak the words of this life. It's, it's a life that has words that describe this life. It's a life that has a message that can identify and define this life. It's a life that has a word that can declare whether you in this life or not in this life. And I want to tell you this life is wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ and you can't get away from it. Amen. So I want to encourage you as a messenger today to tell you to go. Go. Step out. Amen. Stand up. Stand firm on the authority of the word of God. Yes, they're going to look at you as a stranger in this world. But I want to tell you what, our God is a stranger to them already, amen? And if you're a stranger with him, they're going to think you strange. But that's okay. That's okay. Because it's not in your strength that's going to transform them. It's got to be Jesus that's going to transform them. You're the messenger, amen? You're the messenger that goes and tells them that, hey, this is the God of the universe. He created all mankind, and all mankind comes from one blood. And God has predetermined our dwellings, where we would live. He's predetermined our times that we would live in. And God had an expectation upon this creation that He created that they would seek Him in the hope of finding Him. And if you don't live your life seeking the Lord Jesus Christ, it's obvious you don't belong to this God. But when you belong to Him, you will seek Him as a way of life. You'll be sensitive to the message that He gives you. And you will stand fast and endure through the hardships and the difficulties that come your way because all believers endure unto the end. Amen? You see, go tell them. Go tell them. When they tell you that this world wasn't created by our God, you don't, look, you, you don't have to laugh at them. You don't have to mock them. You just tell them. Tell them, well, I believe. I believe what the Bible tells me. And the Bible tells me that God created this world and he created in six literal days. And on the seventh day he rested. So the first day man was supposed to do anything or would do anything. Man just rested in what God had already done. Why? Because it was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for man. That man doesn't have to work for what he does for his salvation. God's already provided salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you just go tell them that it was our God who made man the way he made him. And man fell into sin. And there's a wage to sin. And it's evident around us. Everywhere you look, all you see is the evidence or the wrath of God upon man. Every time you talk to somebody and they say, well look, what do you think about marriage? Do you think two men could be married? Do you think two women could be married? You say, well my Lord Jesus Christ said God made a male and female in the beginning. Jesus believed the book, Amen. Jesus preached the book, didn't he? So when he talks about the homosexuals, you don't have to be put away and run away and be afraid because of the council, the, the, the council culture that we live in. The Sanhedrin and the Sadducees was a council culture. They tried to shut them up and tried to isolate them. But you know what? A messenger came and told them to keep going. Keep going and keep preaching. Does the homosexual need God's love? They'll never know it if we don't tell them, Amen. So we go to them and we tell them that, look, God came to set you free. He came to set you free from that. Amen. He came to set you free.
from these things. But only He can free you from them. You'll never free yourself. And do I have issues in my own life? Do I have to deal with problems in my own journey, in my own life? Of course I've got to deal with problems in my life. Of course I got to deal with that spirit of rebellion that wants to well up in me. But you know, I want to be a living sacrifice that presents myself unto the Lord so that that living Savior and His living Scriptures and His living Spirit can empower me to do what He's called me to do. I'll never do it without Him. Amen. Today I've got one of my guys sharing with our church there at Briggs Chapel. He is... We just walked through the book of Genesis a few months ago and... There's a place in our area over in Alabama. They call it Shark Tooth Creek. It's near Aliceville, Alabama. And in that creek, the water stays about ankle deep in it unless it's rained real hard. But you can walk through that creek in certain areas and ruffle the leaves back and get up under some of them stones and you can find shark's teeth in that creek. You have to say then, well, when in the world were shark in that creek? Where the Bible talks about a flood that took place during the days of Noah. And why did God flood the world? Because men was depraved and men was caught up in sin. And God flooded and judged the entire world. And that through eight men, God repopulated the world through a guy by the name of Noah. And God's rains rained upon this earth in wrath. But God had Noah what? Prepare an ark for the saving of his household. And you see that judgment that fell upon Noah in his day is also a picture of the judgment that fell upon my Savior in his day. Because God had to deal with the, the ramifications of sin and of death. And my Savior who knew no sin was made sin upon the cross. And all the sins of every believer were poured upon him. So that God could then take the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like the picture of that ark that Noah was in. And granted unto me. That I could be free. Amen to love and serve him so Keith Palmer one of our guys in our church has been going around and he's been sharing with people and carrying these shark tooth these sharks tooth with him and he said man it's been such a great tool brother Marvin that when he shares with them where he found these sharks teeth there in, in the middle of Alabama in a creek in some low lying water they say well how did them sharks get up there he said well let me tell you how they got there let me tell you why it happened the way that it happened. And then let me tell you what God's done for you and me. And it's just a tool that he uses as a messenger to tell people about the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? About the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, if you belong to Jesus, you're a messenger. You have family members that the world has silenced. You have co-workers or fellow students that are afraid to speak up. And I encourage you to go to them and let them know God's got a message for them. And that message is for them to step out. To make it an urgency, a priority to go. To stand firm on what God has already said in His Word, what He's done. To... Show forth the life that he's given you to live before them 
and you just let them know they're free. Amen. They're free. They can go. They can go tell this story of what Jesus has done for them. And they don't have to be shy about it. They don't have to be timid about it. They don't have to be afraid to share it. All they need to do is present themselves as living sacrifices before the Lord and let God consume them and speak through them to bring glory to His name. Amen? You know, will everybody receive it? No. Will some people get caught up in all the other stuff and not even grab it? Yeah, that's right. But I want to tell you there's people out there that God's going to use you and use them to bring into His kingdom simply because you took God at His word. Amen? And you were faithful to do it. Now here's the thing. You need to make the commitment that you're going to be faithful to do what God's called you to do. And the reason I say that is because God tells me in the book of Proverbs chapter 26 and verse number 6. He says, do not put a message in the hand of a fool and an unfaithful person. Why? If you put a message in an unfaithful person, all you're going to do is cut off your legs and drink violence or poison. It's only going to hurt you. So God warns me that if I've got something to pass on to somebody, I'm not to give it to a person that will not get that job done. Are you with me? You don't put a message in the hand of a fool to get that message to somebody because it's not going to get there. It's only going to hurt you and it's only going to cause you trouble. And all God's people said. So here's the thing. If I'm not being compelled to be a messenger for the Lord Jesus Christ, there's one of two reasons. Number one, either I don't know him personally or number two, I'm living like a fool. I'm living unfaithful. He can't rely upon me. Are you with me? You have to make yourself a living sacrifice that you're going to say, I don't need Brother Marvin to take me by the hand to do this. I need a heart for it. I need to be compelled by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and I want to be faithful to Him and whoever He brings into my life, I'm going to be faithful to share what He's given me. Because if you're not consistently burdened with the value of a burden from the Lord to tell people about Jesus, it's either you don't know Him or you're acting or living unfaithful to Him. Because God's not going to compel you and burden you consistently if you're being unfaithful. That's the indicator that you're not doing what you ought to be doing. The Bible also says that a lazy man desires but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich or fat. So you can desire to be a witness and not be a witness. Are you with me? You can be slothful. But the Bible says a slothful person is a companion with a destroyer. He's like a relative to a destroyer. If you're lazy and slothful in this, you say, well, I'll do it next week. Or I'll do it in the coming days. Or I'll do it whatever. No, you have to do it with what? urgency because if you put it off you're going to stay unfaithful and when you're unfaithful God's not going to use you to do his work just not going to happen so what does it go back to it's a condition of what it's a condition of my heart it's a condition of my heart if God tells me not to put a message in the hand of a fool you know what he's telling me he don't put messages in the hands of the fool 
And when God sent that angel, what does angels do? Angels obey the voice of God, don't they? They serve the will of God, don't they? They're messengers of the word of God. And all God's disciple makers are servants of the work of God. Ministers of the will of God and messengers of the word of God. Amen? That's how they live their life. That's how they live their life. So if something is not in me, wanting me, pushing me, Brother Jonathan, to go and tell my neighbor or a friend or, or a co-worker, if, if that's not in me, I've got to do a heart check. Amen. Amen. I've got to check my heart because something's not right in me. Because Jesus said, if you follow me in life, what does he promise he would make us? What? Y'all help me. I know y'all know this. He'll make us what? Fishers of men. So if I'm not fishing men regularly in my life, let's say I'm going to catch them all. Amen. How many of y'all been fishing and ain't never caught nothing? How many of you have ever been hunting and ain't killed nothing? How many of you have been fishing and ain't even had a bite? There's no guarantee you're going to catch people when you go fishing for Jesus. But you need to let the net down where he tells you to let it down. Amen. Amen. You need to do what he tells you to do. And he says, as long as you follow me, when you follow in me, everything in your life I will use to make you more effective at fishing for men. So if I'm not fishing for men, that ought to be a good indicator, Brother Sam. I'm not what? I'm not following. And if I'm not following, I can't be faithful. And if I'm not faithful... Jesus is not going to burden me with the heart of a message to carry to people. Are you with me? It's just not going to happen. So I, I could then, I, okay, I need to think about that then. If I was to ask you what is the armor of God right now, y'all help me with it. What does the Bible tell us to do? We need to put on what? The full armor of God. We need to what? Gird our waist with the belt of truth. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to put on the helmet of salvation. We need to take the what? Shield of faith. And then he refers to a sword and he says the sword is the word of God, right? But I left out one. What's the one I left out? You need to shod your feet. The word shod means to tie up. To bind up, to tie the sandals on your feet. And you know what he refers that to? What does he refer to the sandals? How does he apply it? The preparation of the gospel of peace. How many of y'all got shoes on right now? How many of you have ever left your house and went shopping and forgot your shoes? You've done it? And what would you say when you've done it? What in the world was I what in the world was I thinking? Now, you might put on the wrong shoes, but you're going to put on shoes, are you with me? It's like when you, a hurricane or when tornadoes are coming, you need to make sure you're sleeping in your shorts, amen? Because that house might blow away and you don't want to get caught with nothing on, are you with me? 
Or when, when it's daytime and you're walking about and you're in the house and storms are coming through, it's a good idea to put shoes on in case the storm comes because you don't want to walk through the debris with no shoes on your feet. You don't go in the woods. How many you, how many you hunt? Do you wear boots or good warm shoes when you hunt? You've never got out of the deer stand and say, man, what in the world, where's my shoes at? No, why? Because it's part of what you do every day. So when Paul says you put on the full armor of God, if you're not in the preparation of the gospel of peace and you get out in life, you got to say, what in the world was I thinking? I left the house without my shoes. See, you got to pair your heart for that, amen? You're not going to accidentally do it. You got to be intentional to do it because nothing in the kingdom of God ever happens accidentally. Why? Our God is a purposeful God. Amen. You're not going to obey him accidentally. You're not going to do any of those things accidentally. If you're going to be a disciple maker, it has to be intentional. It has to be an intentional act of obedience that you prepared your heart, you prepared your life, you prepared your message, you're prepared to engage and encounter people in this world because you got a message from the Lord. And he said, go. Go make disciples of all the nations and teach them those things that I've taught you. I'm going to close with this. There's a lot more I'd love to share with you today. That's the hard thing when a preacher comes in for one service. He wants to give as much as he can when he can. Amen. I encourage y'all to read about this today. If you, would, if you would do this, I think it would help you. There's an Old Testament book that I imagine most of you are familiar with. There was a lady by the name of Hadassah who was taken in the realm of a kingship and her name was changed to Queen Esther. Esther had a cousin that gave oversight in her life, took her under his wing, provided for her when her father and mother died. She didn't have any family, so her cousin took care of her. His name was Mordecai. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Well, you know that the Israelites had an enemy in that day and still has an enemy today. We still have an enemy. There was a guy by the name of, y'all know his name? Haman. He was a he was of the kingdom of Agag, an Amalekite who's always been a perpetual enemy of the things of God. And Haman and Agai convinced the ruler that the people of Israel was a nuisance and they were a problem. So he convinced the king to write a decree that on a particular day, at a particular time, that they could not defend themselves and everybody else in the kingdom had the right to do what to them? To destroy them and take everything they had. You know what that decree was? They sent out messengers. They sent out carriers. They sent out people on horses to go tell the whole providence of the world in that time that on this particular day and 12 months down the road, you have the right to kill these Jews. Nobody can stop you and they don't even have the right to defend themselves or their property. It was a sentence of what? Death. Well, Mordecai heard about it. And Mordecai reached out to his little cousin who was in a position of authority. And you know the great thing that he told her, he says, you know, uh, Hadassah, you was born for such a time as this. And he says, 
that God's going to bring deliverance. It may not be through you, but it'll be through some way He's going to bring a deliverance out. But you've been born for such a time as this, you can be a difference maker. Well, we know the story, what happened. Haman was found out. The king's bride, Esther, tells him what took place. He calls for Mordecai and brings Mordecai in. And the question is, what should we do about it? And Mordecai says, let's write a law. And the law is this, that the Jew on that day, because you couldn't overturn the decree, couldn't stop it, it was going to happen. But on this day, the Jews have the right to defend themselves and defend their property, and anybody that wants to help them can help them as well. And they took that law, that decree, and they put it in the hand of royal messengers. And they sent that word out on horseback all throughout the providence. And the Bible says that when the Jews received that word, that they could, they had a defense now, somebody who was behind them, that they could protect their things, that they had a, a solution to it. It says that the Jews had life, they had joy, they had gladness, and there was great honor and shouting throughout the land. And I want to tell you in here today, the high king of heaven has sent out a decree. And that decree has gone out. Now the first decree was like this. That all who have sinned will die. You just don't know when you're going to die. They knew when this was going to happen. Remember the law condemns all what? Under death and sin. So the wages of sin is death. And, the, and our high king has condemned all the world, all humanity under sin. Amen? And we know the wages of it. So there's a law that is binding upon humanity, and humanity will die under that law. But the high king of heaven came down and took upon flesh and laid his life down and shed his blood and was powerfully resurrected and now has sent out his royal messengers with another message of grace and told people that they got a solution for it in the blood of Jesus. Amen. And you are one of those messengers if you belong to Jesus. So get up on your horse. Take the royal decree from him and go make disciples of all the nations for his glory. Amen. Go make disciples of all his glory. Father, we thank you today. We ask you to help us with these things. I pray that you would make us messengers. We would recognize that we are messengers. We will know that we are messengers. And that we would go from place to place, from people to people. And we will let them know what you have already decreed. And that you have set them free in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that those under the hearing of my voice today will take this. And they will see themselves like this angel, as servants of God, who are going to tell the people, don't let this world we live in, don't let your flesh, don't let your past, don't let your troubles, don't let anything put you behind bars that you don't go to where people are and tell them what the king has done, all the words of this life. We're going to praise you for it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? God has spoke.
you know, we said we was doing soul winning Sundays through February. God kind of stretched it out to the first Sunday in March. I think he's trying to let us understand. He wants us to go tell people about his son. Yes. Today, if you don't know Jesus, there's no better place, no better time yes. than to come and listen to the great message and be saved. I'm going to ask you to make that public today if God's calling you. But for those of us who are here at Bethany, God's put a burden on us this last month, and I hope you will take it to heart. Whatever God's spoken to you, I hope you will obey. If you need to come forward today and come to the altar, I'm going to ask you to do that. We make a prospect list. we got people we've been praying for to be saved. We need to continue to bring that before God, so I'm going to ask you to do that. But just obey God today and listen to Him, and if you'll do what He tells you, He'll use you.